please stand and join in the call to worship. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the living God. This is our Sabbath when we rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Peace to all who enter here, peace this day and every day. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
Good morning and welcome to worship here at Southside Baptist Church. We were talking beforehand, and for some reason there are fewer people here today than there were last week, but that's always the way it is the Sunday after Easter. Uh, they're a day that we typically call Low Sunday uh, because of uh, the fact that it is sort of a coming off the spiritual high of Easter and also the fact that we have a lot of folks in attendance, and then the next week is a little bit less well attended. Maybe our spirits have lost some of their fervor, but the fact remains that we are Christians who celebrate the resurrection every day, and for that reason, we want to come and celebrate. So we welcome you all here today and to worship those who are guests and members alike. We want to have a record of everyone's attendance. You'll see a little blue tablet at the end of each pew, and if you would write down your name and any information you would like to share with us, we would appreciate it. Southside Baptist Church is here in the heart of Five Point South, building an inclusive community of grace, first in this community and then beyond. We welcome all who come in. We seek to be one, our body of believers, who help those who come in as you help us to grow in our faith, to be more faithful in all the things we do, to be the presence of Christ, both here and in our daily activities of work, school, wherever we might go. So we are glad that you're here. We do uh, want to extend to those a, a hand of friendship from Southside, and that is to pass a piece of Christ. So we would like for you to just take a moment and pass a piece of Christ, greet those close to you, and let them know that you're delighted that they're here. We do indeed welcome you to worship this morning, and we hope that you have welcomed one another. I know that we have some of, uh, I believe, some of Dr. Roxburgh's uh, students with us as well this morning. Do we not? Uh, is that correct? Yeah, very, very lovely to have uh, them with us. And uh, I'm suggesting that that you are the core of our congregation. Those who, uh, you know, I, I refrained last week from wishing everyone uh, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year in case we weren't going to see them again uh, until that time. Um, but nonetheless, we, we, uh, we welcome all of you here and those who are not able to be with us today for whatever reason. And I think Valerie has the right idea uh, because of our air conditioning situation. If you want to take that thing that you find in the hymnal in some cases and use it as a fan, we're going to make some arrangements about that uh, for uh, some future weeks. But uh, I saw some nice fanning going on there. Uh, it is relatively cool in here this morning, but uh, uh, the warmth of your presence is also felt, and that is a good thing. Um, and a final note that um, it's not over Eastertide. Uh, it's kind of like Christmas, you know. We don't sing a lot of Christmas carols and Christmas-related things until Christmas itself. And then you don't forget about Christmas for the next few number of days because that's Christmas time. Well, also, this is Easter time. So we sing hymns today of Easter, uh, and we will for the next couple of weeks. So um, just enjoy the, 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 uh, risen, the arisen-ness of it. 
uh, and um, note the texts and note those things that we are doing. Uh, the next hymn that we will do after our prayer is, uh, is Day of Arising, of course, and is sung to a tune that you'll know as Morning is Broken. Uh, so we, we will uh, continue to do those sorts of celebrations throughout. May we uh, continue as a, uh, with a word of prayer. Our loving Savior and our Father God, we thank you for bringing us to this place today. This indeed is a day that we can rejoice your act of creation. It is our day of remembrance, our day of rest, our Sabbath, and we do rejoice in the res resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We also do give thanks that once again, you have brought us together that we might renew and refresh one another in the singing, in the hearing, in the reading, in the loving, in the, in the general being. We give thanks for the peace that you bring to us as we enter this place. And may we take that peace and love and grace with us each day as we leave this place after a while. And may we do all this in the name of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Our first scripture lesson today is found in Isaiah 65, be reading verses 17 through 25. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought of as a mere youth. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Here ends our first scripture lesson. second reading is from the gospel, the gospel of Luke and chapter 24, the story of the coming of the first women to the tomb. I want to read from the point in verse 5 down to verse 12 where we get the context of what happens. In honor of the gospel, if you're able, will you stand for the reading of scripture? Verse 5, the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to the apostles to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord.
may be seated. Good morning. How are you all today? I know that last week you felt a little bit outnumbered, didn't you? You had rain? Was that last week? No. <laughs> last night. Okay. Well, last week we had a lot of folks up here. It was Easter. We had a lot of uh, children up here. We had several boys, several girls that were all up here, and um, everybody had their pretty clothes on. Well, Good Friday was before that. It was Easter, so um, that we last Sunday was Easter, and Jack. Somebody told me that y'all had a great Sunday school lesson today. Did you? What did you? What did you? Uh, an optical illusion that spells Jesus. You caught goldfish to eat. Oh, the crackers. Oh, okay, I think Miss Nancy was teaching today, so she uh, had a lot of those extra things for you. Well, I want to tell you about one other story that we had in our Sunday school class. Has anybody ever told you something that was so, uh, so great, so wonderful, beyond your belief? You just couldn't believe it? Well, you know, they have. You know, when I was, a, when I was about your age, Jack, I just believed that because of what all I saw that, you know, I could fly. I hadn't seen anybody else fly, but I thought I could. And at least I thought that I could slow my descent a little bit with an umbrella. <laughs> and uh, so, do you know what happened? I learned quickly that that is not true. And so I learned from those experiences, but there are also times when things happen that we're really, really, they're unbelievable, they're true, greater than we can imagine. And. Ryder told me about playing baseball. He plays and plays very well. And when he told me that he had hit a home run, I, that was great. And I imagined it in my mind what it looked like when you hit that home run. Well, it doesn't matter inside or outside, okay? The outside of the park was coming. And, it, and you play soccer. Well, the thing is that all of those are things we do and we imagine them. But in the Bible, there's a story about a man named Thomas. But Thomas, Thomas was not with his friends when Jesus, after he had risen from the tomb, came and saw his friends. Jack, sit right here. Come right here. Okay, come right up here. Okay, come around and sit on that chair. All right, there you go. His friend, he wasn't with his friends. And something, Jesus had appeared to them. It was like the the greatest thing that could have happened to them because they were so afraid, and yet he wasn't there. Now, we don't know why he wasn't there, but he wasn't. And his friends told him, and they still couldn't make him believe. Now, sometimes our friends tell us something, and we know them. We know that they play tricks on us, or they do various things to us. And in our Sunday school class, we even imagined that maybe Thomas, with all these other disciples, he might have thought they were trying to pull his leg a little bit or play a joke on him, you know? That may be what he thought because of past experience, but what they were telling was true. And even so, he said, but I won't believe until I can see, until I can put my finger in the nail print or nail hole in Jesus' hand and also put my hand in his side. 
You know what happened? Jesus appeared to him. But he made him wait a little while. It was eight days later, and he appeared to Thomas, and Thomas said, in that moment, my Lord and my God, he saw and believed. See, there are times when people tell us things that are true, and they seem unbelievable. That Jesus rose from the dead, that seems like so unbelievable, but it's true. He did. And so because of that, we have the opportunity to believe. And we believe in him, and we know that he is with us, for he has been victorious even over death. Now, I've got a little thing here in this bag that I wanted to show you because they're little coins like. And really, they're, what they do is they remind us of things that There are little coins that you can take. I've given you some of these before, but one of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And there's also one in Philippians that we can know that the peace of God. See, these remind us, or help remind us, that God loves us. He sent his own son who rose from the dead, and he is with us always, even now. So you take those, and you can look at those, and then... I want to offer a prayer that you will be able to hear and know the truth of what the gospel is. And that is that Jesus rose from the dead and he is with you all the time. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you that even in our unbelief that you still come to us and you show us, lead us, guide us. Help us to understand the truth of who you are. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would guide these two, that you would continue to teach them, and that we, we might be positive influences in their lives in the days to come. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you. Here you go. Will you join me in prayer this morning? God of Easter hope, during these Sundays of Easter tide, we open our eyes to God who is with us, God who is for us, God who is going ahead of us, calling, follow me. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are alive. We say it aloud, alive in the quiet moments of our prayers, in the meeting of our needs, and the service we long to offer to you. Alive for now, alive in eternity to reshape all things in heaven and on earth. We thank you that you breathe hope into the darkest hour, sharing faith despite doubt and death, birthing love in hardened hearts. Forgive us then if we hug the news to ourselves or hide the light from our neighbor, making of faith a private thing that warms our hearts but fails to reach the stranger. Lord, bless your church here and everywhere. Confirm each one of us in the faith of your good news. Inspire us. Give us love for yourself, zeal in your service, and joy in seeking the well-being of your kingdom. Grant to your church here and elsewhere the spirit of unity that your people may dwell together in your love and so bear to the world the peace of your healing and the encouragement of your blessing. 
Help us to remember that your words cannot be contained, but they burst forth in splendor. Help us now to echo and re-echo the good news from down through the ages. Lord, you bring peace to our communities, to our lives. Give us, we pray, the desire for harmony in the places where we work, where we study. Give to us the ability to know reconciliation in the midst of any conflict. And strengthen each one this morning who comes into your house fearful and lonely. Open our hearts to share with one another that we have your riches of grace, of time, and of talent. We pray this morning that you would remember all those for whom we pray, those who are in trouble or pain. We pray for healing for those who are sick, support for those who are dying, consolation for those who mourn. For those in any distress, may your presence alleviate pain and give hope for tomorrow. We rejoice with all who have entered into the fullness of life eternal. We thank you for our loved ones who have gone before us. Grant that we may follow their example and come to share with them the glory of everlasting life. May we with them rise to share in your eternal kingdom. Merciful Father, accept all our prayers, spoken, unspoken, brought to you this morning. Through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray with confidence, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.
towards the end of C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the lion Aslam submits to a violent death at the hands of his enemies. But before he's killed, he's bound, bound with ropes, and his wonderful thick mane is cut off. Lucy and Susan witness all this and see that although his face looks small and different without its mane, at the same time it is braver and more beautiful and more patient than ever. In the events of Easter, which we think about during this period of Eastertide, from Good Friday through Easter Monday, we see the wonder of God's grace, the depths of his commitment towards humanity, that he's willing to taste death for every human being. The Son of God takes death into his being. In his hymn, O Love Divine, What Hast Thou Done?, Charles Wesley in the 18th century tries to explore this theme, the, the theme of God, God's own Son, experiencing the very depths of our sorrow and our suffering. He says, O Love Divine, what hast thou done? The immortal God hath died for thee. The Father's co-eternal Son bore all my sins upon the tree. The immortal God for me hath died. My Lord, my love is crucified. Daring words, words of paradox, plumbing the depths of God's love for each and every one of us. The immortal God dies. How is that possible? <laughs> and this is what the women who come to the tomb on that first Easter morning are contemplating. Their desire is to anoint the body of their friend, the one they've been following about in Galilee for a long period of time. And now they come to express their love towards him as they've been thinking about the events of the last few days. They find that his love is braver and more beautiful, more patient than ever. Luke's gospel often brings to the forefront the ministry of Jesus for the ostracized, the ignored, even the oppressed of the first century world, oppressed by the Greco-Roman world and oppressed by the religious world of Judaism. The other three gospels, for example, touch a little on the antipathy of Jews towards Samaritans, but Luke speaks about this on several occasions. And then there are the group that are called the poor. Uh, Luke has Jesus saying, blessed are the poor, he has Matthew. Matthew has it, blessed are the poor in spirit. He wants to spiritualize it a little bit. And then there are numerous stories that Luke tells about women, women who are given a prominent place in the ministry of Jesus, more so in Luke's gospel than in any other. They're one of those social groups that in the first century are excluded or disadvantaged in religious and civic society. Early on in the gospel, in the eighth chapter, Luke tells us about Mary called Magdalene and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, and Susanna and, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. It's a reference to the way in which Jesus and the apostles, the twelve, that inner group of Jesus' disciples, were sustained and maintained by the financial support of these women who accompanied Jesus in his ministry. Now, Luke stresses the obvious, but the often forgotten point that whereas those men had run away from the cross, at the conclusion of Luke 23, Luke is very specific. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body 
was laid. They had been him with him for so long. They were with him over the events of Good Friday. And when he died and his body was taken down and taken to the tomb provided for them by Joseph of Arimathea, they looked, they saw, and they were ready on Easter Sunday to do something for him. In Luke 24, the writer provides a unique resurrection account. He, he brings all the stories of the resurrection into, it seems, one day in and around Jerusalem. The other Gospels tell the story so different. But they want to impress us with the wealth of information that led the disciples through the experience of darkness and doubt of Good Friday and Easter, and Easter Saturday to know that incipient joy was just around the corner as Jesus rises from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again on the third day. We often forget that middle section of that text. We forget that our Lord's body was laid in the tomb. We want to jump very quickly from Easter Friday on the cross to Easter Sunday and the empty tomb. But as the Westminster Shorter Catechism tells good Presbyterians, Christ being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time, for a time. That's not a passive lying to rest, not a fleeting momentary hiatus before the real activity of the third day. Easter Saturday is as significant as the cross and the resurrection. He lies helpless in the tomb. And his family and his friends grieve over his passing without any hope of what's going to happen. His presence in the tomb through Holy Saturday into the early hours of Easter Sunday reminds us that nothing, no darkness, no bereftness, no feeling of pain is isolated from the incarnate crucified Christ. There's no place where you can languish. There is no darkness so dark which places you beyond his searching, seeking reach. He is willing to go all the way to the grave to identify with us in our fears. Somehow, we don't know how, but somehow the helplessness and humiliation of our Lord lying in that tomb in a garden in Gethsemane touches our suffering. Somehow the millions who have suffered before us and have yet to suffer those who suffer with us are gathered into that tomb so that we and they can know peace, healing, and new life. Somehow, the impossibly wounded are going to be made whole because Jesus died and was buried. The Son of God takes death into his experience. Jesus is sleeping. There's only one other occasion where we know that Jesus slept. He slept in a boat in the midst of a storm, and now he sleeps in a tomb. His sleep is about to come to an end. Jesus is waiting, however, for God the Father to act. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus raised himself from the dead. It always says that God the Father, through the Spirit, brings Jesus back to life. Jesus dies in faith and hope that the grave will be triumphed over. He dies he commits his soul into the presence of the Father, hoping that something will happen. And Luke 24 is the response of God to that. The tomb becomes empty. 
The tomb is an important feature of most of the gospel's account of the resurrection. Of course, the tomb doesn't prove anything about Jesus' body being alive. We can't offer uh, some kind of tangible proof that is uh, irrefutable. Faith is a matter of trust. Faith is accepting that which our minds and our hearts cannot completely grasp or fathom. We never prove ultimately the reality of Easter Sunday. But the, Easter, the empty tomb at Easter points us forward to the message that the early church will take in their encounter with the risen Lord and bring that message to us so that we hear and are told the old, old story of the Savior's love. But one of the main aspects of this incident, this incident where the women who are at the cross and follow to see where the tomb is, come back early on Easter Sunday. And Luke tells us the names of some of them, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James. And then Luke says, and, and the other women. <laughs> it's an enigmatic phrase. It's meant, I think, to point back to Luke 8. All these other women who surround Jesus in his ministry, who maintain him financially as well as his apostles, they come as quite a large group, according to Luke's account anyway. They're terrified when they encounter these men, that's what they're called, or angels as other accounts have them. And, and different, different gospels tell us different stories about what happens. Mark is the most intriguing. He just says that they fled from the tomb and told nobody for they were afraid. But Luke puts it differently. After they have gone, perhaps, after they have not told anybody, they go, according to Luke, and they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. There's quite a group gathered. It's not just the eleven apostles, but other disciples as well. And so Luke tells us that these words seemed to the apostles an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Luke goes on to tell us that Peter went, ran indeed, to the tomb, and he stooped and entered and went home again. The other 10 disciples stayed put. They should have believed the women. It's a remarkable emphasis which each gospel gives about the witness of women. Some people speak about Mary Magdalene as being the first apostle, the first witness of the resurrection, but there's more than Mary around here. There's a whole bunch of them. And Luke stresses that in a society in which women's testimony didn't count in a court of law, didn't have any standing in legal issues, these are the people who are given the testimony and the witness to bear to the people around them. When the two men, angels, tell the women in verse 6, remember what he told you when, they were, when Jesus was teaching them in Galilee, these, these angels include the women in the group whom Jesus taught as disciples. They are disciples. They don't go to tell the disciples. They are disciples. They come to tell the other disciples, especially the 11, what they had encountered. The phenomenon of women in groups and community has come again to the forefront of our minds in our own country and elsewhere around the world as thousands of women, hundreds of thousands, marched not only in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago, but in solidarity all over the world. They took the lead 
to bear witness to issues in just, about justice or injustice within society. In Matthew's gospel, we have only two women who go to the tomb. But despite their fear, they remain alert and they go and tell the message. I hope you see the irony here. The irony of a woman's testimony to an occurrence would not have been admissible in court. Jesus entrusts this profoundly important message, the message of the resurrection, and the others thought it was an idle tale. They should have believed the women. We say perhaps, fortunately, things have changed and American women today can speak speak without the accompaniment of a man, share news and information in the public square, testify in court, yet the ancient ways still persist. Women in the public eye who express vulnerability and strong emotions are seen to be weak, somehow tainted in their testimony. Whereas if a man does the same, he's applauded for passion and authenticity. I was appalled this past week, appalled that a a Memphis lawyer defending a man accused of rape could suggest that women were good at lying and they were the weaker sex. 2017, shame on you, shame on you. And yet, a woman who goes to seminary to study for pastoral ministry is told that, well, you should make a good pastor's wife perhaps sometime in the future. Things perhaps don't change. They should have believed the women. Jesus entrusts the first witness to the resurrection to Mary Magdalene, to Mary, the mother of Jesus, to Mary, the mother of James, to Mary, to Salome, to Joanna, to that wonderful company of people who had a love for Jesus that persisted in the cross and didn't run away and went to see the empty tomb. What is our responsibility as we hear the message of the resurrection? It is not to treat it as an idle tale. It is to hear the message. It is to hear the story, to listen to the story, to listen to the witnesses who have been witnesses to us. And among them have been many women and many men. I was reminded this morning because I had a, I had a, a couple, a man and a woman, who in my, in my youth were about 20 years older than me. Jim and Avril. They were mentors to myself and another friend who's a Presbyterian minister in Scotland to this day. Jim died this morning, so I was, I was reminding him. I was remembering him. But I was remembering also Avril, who died about five years ago from an inoperable brain tumor. She, as much as Jim, perhaps in some ways more so, was so encouraging, was so helpful, especially for myself in a period of deep doubt in my latter teenage years, who helped me to hear the message, to hear the story, to recover faith, and to go into pastoral ministry. I think about her. I'm glad I listened. I'm glad I believed what she said. And so we tell the story. We tell our families. We tell our children. We tell our grandchildren. We tell the story softly. We tell the story often. We tell the story of Jesus and his love and his risen power. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write in my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell me the old, old story. 
Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Will you pray with me? Lord, perhaps we've come here this morning and we sometimes don't know what to believe. We struggle with faith. We encounter doubt. We pray that your grace, your love, and your mercy would gently reach into our lives and help us to respond to you and your love wherever we find it. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to sing that hymn, number 426, as our hymn of promise. Uh, Dr. Kelly will be at the front should any wish to respond in any public way to God's word today. Tell me the story of Jesus.
Let's pray. Gracious God, Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, help our unbelief. Help us to hear all who declare your gospel of resurrection and peace without regard to gender. We thank you for this day and for this season of resurrection, redemption, and renewal of our faith. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrificial act of dying on the cross for our sins, so that we, through him, may gain eternal life. As he was faithful to your will, teach us, O oh Master, to be faithful to your will in our lives, to do those things you would have us to do. In response to this amazing love you've shown us, we come now to offer up to you a portion of our resources, our time, talents, and even our own bodies as living sacrifices to you. Give us the spirit to give freely and cheerfully. Bless these offerings. Bless us. Most of all, we pray that you will give, you will bless us, you will use us, you will guide us, you will direct us to use these offerings to further Christ's ministry of feeding the poor, clothing the naked, and bringing relief to those who are hurting physically and spiritually. We ask it all in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen.
Loving Lord, we bring these tithes and offerings to you. We do so cheerfully. We bring them because you have called us to follow you. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would bless them. May we always be in this community. May we be here to be your presence day by day. And may we also use these offerings to reach out even beyond. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you take your seat for just a moment, please? Just a couple of announcements before we go. One is we're delighted that those are here visiting with us. Several of you are students of Dr. Roxborough, so we're glad that you're here and visiting with us and sharing today. We would uh, mention to you, as well as all the other folks gathered here today, that right after worship there is a, a little reception there, some lemonade and cookies, and due to the fact that our cooling didn't show up the Sunday after Easter either, then we might like to have something to cool off a little bit. So we hope that uh, you'll linger long enough for us to talk uh, with you some. Also, the, um, as you notice, it was a bit warm here today. We've had some uh, cooling problems, and we're working on those as best we can. Also, we have a church conference uh, this week on Wednesday, and so we'll address some of those things then too. But I uh, hope that we can pray that each Sunday would be like today, cool, so that we would be able to enjoy the, the temperature here. So in, uh, as we prepare to go out, we do so remembering that not only um, did the women go and bear their testimony, but we also have the opportunity day in and day out to be those who carry the message of Christ, to give our own testimonies, the way we live, the way we speak, the way that we engage in the lives of others and demonstrate the love of Christ that is in our lives. Dr. Roxburgh is going to come and have our benediction as we go out. So we go in peace to love and serve the Lord and know that as you go, the blessing of our God, parent, lover, friend, will be with us now and evermore.